Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows my individual purpose and meaning is interconnected with the natural world. And that's the topic of our today's, of today's show, how do we experience our environment? In studio with us is the executive, executive director of Osprey Wild Environmental Learning Center, Brian Wood. Welcome. Hi, Laura. Great Hi. to be here. Nice to be here. Yeah, you were here a couple years ago. and um, But tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been executive director at Osprey Wilds for 10 years now and started off as an intern there in 2005 to finish out my undergrad degree and never imagined that I would one day be in the role of executive director, but it's been just incredibly rewarding. It's awesome to see the growth that we've had as an organization and you know, get up every day and uh, believe uh, that you've got a, a place you can find meaning in and that's making an impact on the world. So it's pretty cool. Um, that's extremely cool. And then starting someplace as an intern yeah. 15, 16 years ago. And and so, uh, Osprey, um, you went through a name change recently. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So our organization previously was known as Audubon Center of the North Woods. And we've been around for 51 years. Um, we just made a name change January 1st after quite a bit of reflection and a lot of uh, similar questions that we got uh, about what we did, and especially from people that didn't have any prior connection with us. Audubon is a really well-established name and brand. Um, National Audubon Society has been around for over 100 years. Um, there are Audubon chapters all over the state as well as the country. And it made sense for uh, the beginning of our organization's uh, tenure to have Audubon in our name because the land that we reside on was gifted by a very generous donor to National Audubon Society in 1968 to be a nature sanctuary and a place where environmental education happened. And so from 1968 up until the mid-90s, National Audubon owned the property and they provided funding and support to us. Um, we went through a capital campaign in the mid-90s to expand our programming and reach and be able to, to do more for our mission. And during that time, we needed to have the deed to the property in order to add on to the buildings and do some financing. And so National Audubon agreed to gift us that property back. So we, we got the deed in the mid-90s. And about that time also, um, the uh, publications and, and uh, funding that they had been giving kind of went away. So from that time forward, we've kept that name Audubon, but it uh, increasingly became confusing for people because we weren't a part of National Audubon Society. We weren't carrying out their mission. Um, we were really and have been a nature center that does all sorts of programs. Um, not just birds, although we do have raptors and do you have bird a little banding. checklist so people can go there and get the checklist and see all the birds yeah. they see on their property. So tell us a little bit about this um, environment and the place where the uh, learning center sits. So we are just west of Sandstone, which is up I-35, about halfway between uh, the Twin Cities and Duluth, and we sit on 783 acres. It's a really beautiful campus of uh, mixed habitats. We've got pine forests, we've got hardwood forests, we've got prairies, wetlands, uh, we've got about three quarters of a mile of lakeshore on Grindstone Lake, which is a really fascinating and unique lake. It's 153 feet deep, and uh, it's the southernmost lake in Minnesota that has lake trout. Um, so we're, we're really fortunate to have the campus we do, and such a great uh, laboratory for learning to get kids and, and adults outside and engaged in nature there. And tons and tons of programs and events. I mean, we have only an hour to talk about because there's such a range of activities. So let's just kind of tease out some of the some of the different um, offerings you have. Sure, we stay busy year round. Uh, our main program that we do on site is hosting K twelve schools for residential visits. So. When a school comes to us, uh, they're not coming for two hours. They're usually coming for three days, two nights, sometimes for a full week. And those kids are getting really immersed in nature. Uh, we have about 95 schools that we will um, work with this school year, about 4,500 students that are getting you know, 48 hours plus in nature during their time. 
so that is a big component of what we do is hosting K-12 schools. And if any um, principals or teachers are listening to this program, you also have a scholarship opportunity because you want this to be available to all people. We do. We've got a lot of scholarship funds that we would love to divvy out to schools that aren't currently going to a residential environmental learning center. And so if your school uh, is interested, any reasonable scholarship request that you put in will not be denied. We are pretty full this year, but we could certainly look at getting schools in for next year. And we just want to get more kids out into nature. Uh, we, uh, we just see the increasingly positive benefits of getting kids outside. There's more research that's shown on all of the behavior, academic, emotional benefits that kids experience when they get time in nature. And when they can get it for multiple days, uh, as opposed to just an hour or two, that can really make an impact on them. Well, when I reflect on my life, because it was, uh, I will know this, it was in the 70s, and I did a couple of these boundary water trips as part of high school students, and I did something in the Tamarack Forest, and how that affected my entire life. I mean, it really did. It, it was so powerful, and I'm sure you've seen that in, in other people, in other young people who experience nature. You see lasting impacts for sure. Uh, it's really gratifying to get kids that have never been outside, really, by the time they're in sixth grade coming to us and being fearful initially of being out in the woods. But our staff are, are do a really great job of making it a comfortable, welcoming environment where they feel safe and they can enjoy learning and not be worrying about what's around them. And by the end of their time, just feel like, I don't want to leave. This right. is so cool. Well, and that feeling safe is important because some people are actually afraid to even be in parks because of whatever reason. That that feeling safe. It is. It's it's a big deal for a lot of kids, and that might seem kind of foreign to a lot of us that had access to nature or had parents or adults that got us out and made those introductions. But for a lot of kids these days, accessibility is, is a hardship. Um, somebody that can take you there is, is not available to them. So we are happy and really um, proud to be a part of that component to get kids into nature. And we just want to get as many as we can out into nature. Right. I love this. I love this quote. A um, hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in or the kind of car I drove, but the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. That's a great quote. Uh, we uh, we love making those connections with kids, and we get to see evaluations from them. We get thank you cards when they go back to school, and it's really gratifying to see that you are making an impact. You're touching lives, and those you're planting seeds that um, you know that will make a, a difference for them going forward. Right, and um, there's a, a Richard Louvre has a book out, um, "Laugh Child in the Woods," um, and he talks about nature deficit disorder. And have you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's definitely become a, a coined phrase that just really is, is touching on the fact that kids don't get outside much anymore. The average U.S. child spends less than 30 minutes outside daily, um, which is about a 77% drop from their grandparents' generation. And it's over a 50% job drop from their parents' generation, so you don't need to be a genius to see this trajectory is really worrisome uh, that kids are just increasingly not spending any time uh, outside and if if we're not connecting kids to the environment and understanding what they're a part of what they're inheriting inheriting uh, and what they can do going forward to make good choices for the planet um, you know, we're doing a disservice to to that generation uh, going forward. I've heard some people say we actually have an epidemic of um, anxiety and depression among um, our young people. And we know that the most prescribed drugs for our young people are for um, uh, uh, depression, anxiety, and attention issues. Could simply being in the real world help with some of this anxiety and sadness? Absolutely. Yeah, Richard Louv's newest book is Vitamin N, N being short for nature, and how nature uh, is being increasingly prescribed by physicians for not only kids, but for adults to help them with anxiety and depression because it, there have been multiple studies shown that time outside 
reduces anxiety, helps with attention, helps with focus, improves academic score, improves your relationships on how you interact with people because you're doing it face-to-face as opposed to screen-to-screen. So yes, nature can definitely be a component to helping with some of those ailments. Why does it help? If we think about how long our species has been on the planet and how much our existence has changed in the last 100, 200 years in in the terms of where we spend our time, I don't think it's surprising that we feel pretty comfortable outside because up until very recently, the majority of our existence was being outside. It was gathering food, finding food, um, staying warm, building shelters. So for the last several hundred thousand years, that was the vast majority of time was outside. We had to be in tune with our environment and our surroundings. And I think that's been passed on. And so nature is a part of us and we can think that we're busy and we make our way up the ladder and we're independent of the planet, but we all need to eat food. We all drink water. We all breathe air and we all are utilizing the same planet to do that. And you know, we need to be aware of our actions and we need to be able to make good choices and sustainable choices going forward. And have fun, and right? Have I fun. mean, and all the kids yeah. will discover that. It's like, wow, this is kind of like a cool, cool space. And so water is life. We're going to take a break. We're listen- We're talking to Brian Wood. He's the executive director of Osprey's Wild Environmental Learning Center. And we're talking about how do we experience our environment. Um, and when we come back, we'll talk about all the different type of programs and offerings you have. Um, so thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. The award-winning Hazel's Northeast combines the feel of a small-town diner with the vibrant nature of its Northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. Whether it's breakfast, lunch, weekend brunch, or dinner, their classically inspired and creatively prepared American comfort food is always made from scratch. Hazel's Northeast at 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. EatLocalMinnesota.com The dedicated staff at Nightingale Restaurant take pride in presenting a thoughtful and delicious approach to food and drink, whether you're visiting for dinner, happy hour, or brunch. Their focus on made-from-scratch meals using sustainable and local ingredients is likely to make Nightingale your go-to spot for inspired food and drinks. Nightingale, Lindell and 26th in Minneapolis. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Chad, owner of AM 950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. 
Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Um, I'm Laura Headline, and in studio with us is Brian Woods. He's the executive director of Osprey Wilds um, Environmental Learning Center. And um, tell us a little bit about the history, because it's got a beautiful history. It's a really cool history. Uh, this land that Osprey Wilds resides on was initially, um, for many centuries, lived on by Ojibwe people, and... Um, up until the late 1800s, that was still the case. In um, the 1870s, 1880s, a lot of the pine logging started occurring around Minnesota, and we're in Pine County uh, at Osprey Wilds, and uh, there used to be a lot of pines around there. So a lot of that was cut around our property. After that cutting, uh, there was a lot of stuff left on the ground, which led to the conditions that created the Hinkley Fire of 1894 which is, if, if you aren't familiar with it, it's, it's a pretty incredible fire. It burned 400 square miles in four hours, and it sent flames seven miles high into the air. So people in Mason City, Iowa, saw flames on the horizon, which is 100 miles south of the Iowa-Minnesota border. That's a, a crazy fire. Often I can get myself really frustrated by just thinking about the stupidity of humans, but do we want to even talk about what those pine forests might have been like before? Uh, we have a few spots we can still go to get that feeling. Um, we actually have some pines on our property along the lake in small groves that are over 250 years old, so older than our country, which is awesome. But if you really want to get the sense of what maybe pre-European settlement Minnesota looked like for, for the northern part of the state, there's Scenic State Park north of Grand Rapids. There's also the Lost 40, which is north of Grand Rapids. Itasca State Park was our first state park established in 1891, and that was protected mostly from logging. And then there are pockets within the boundary waters that you can find these three and 400-year-old groves of, of white and red pine. So it's still out there, and you can get a sense of what more of the landscape looked like. Pretty pretty awe-inspiring. But that Hinkerley fire um, was a result of the um, massive logging that occurred. The massive logging and a, a two-month drought where there was less than an inch of rain that fell. So there were these perfect conditions. And after that, land was pretty cheap in Pine County. So um, Arnold Schweitzer, who came over from Switzerland with his family, bought acreage up there. He was a physician in St. Paul got it established as a working farm. That was their summer getaway as a family. They had three children, all of which became physicians like their dad. And the daughter was the one of the three that stayed in Minnesota. So she inherited the land. And upon her passing, unbeknownst to her family, she had put in the will that it would go to National Audubon Society. So that gift was the whole um, beginning of us getting started. And then a few Audubon chapters in the Twin Cities organized us as a nonprofit um, so that we could receive donations on our own and, and be able to operate. And so we've been operating as a nonprofit since then, and we've grown from just a, an old dilapidated farmhouse and a, and a barn and a caretaker house to now we have uh, three dormitories, we have a dining hall, we can accommodate 160 people, um, high ropes course, archery range, raptors, climbing wall, um, all sorts of, of ways that we can get people outside into nature. So it, it was a pretty inauspicious start. And even our first staff member, um, Mike Link, who was our first executive director, he was given $300 a month to get something going, and his heating bill at the staff house was more than that per month starting out. So it was not destined to succeed, but we had the exact right person um, in our first director, Mike Link, who really spearheaded what, what happened. And then we've just had a lot of help from great board members, donors, supporters that over the years, staff members that have built it to what it is today. And today we have about 10,000 participants that come through our campus up in Sandstone. We also do outreach programs around the state with our animals, which touch about 3,000 people a year. And then we authorize charter schools, which uh, is a whole 
different ball, uh, a whole different ball game. But we have uh, a staff that oversees the operations of over uh, 36 schools around the state with 9,000 students, and all of those schools are doing environmental education because that's a requirement we have with them to work with us. So we continue to spread our reach and our impact for environmental education. Right, and and the importance that connection that there's actually overwhelming studies about you know just getting out and environmental education it's like it's like such a big win-win. I mean, people do better, kids do better on their tasks, they're less anxious, they get to move around. I mean, yeah, the the, the benefits are just overwhelming. So the more we can do that, I think the better our society will be. And and the the gifting is is uh, is actually really deeply sweet. You got another big gift um, uh, of, of land um, recently or in the last year. Two we years. did, yeah. So for our entire existence, we've had a couple of neighbors to the north of our property line, Roger and Ruby Trap, that uh, have been big supporters of ours. They've helped mow our trails and uh, come to a lot of our programs. And Roger grew up on that land, and his grandfather started the farm there. It's a century farm registered um, in Minnesota, which is very cool. And we just began a dialogue with them uh, about five years ago about our plans and what their um, future uh, looked like and what they were thinking. And they did not have any children to pass the farm on to, and I had begun thinking about another way that we can really connect people to the environment that has a real impact on their day-to-day -day lives is food choices they make. And how cool would it be if we could model a sustainable farm, sustainable agricultural practices, especially since we serve 50,000 meals in our dining hall. I'd much rather be serving food that we grow as opposed to it getting shipped from 2,000 miles away um, and getting kids with their hands dirty. So that, that gift, um, came about through Roger and Ruby's support of that belief and their generosity. So two years ago, they gifted us that farmland, and we have begun the process of turning that into a regenerative farm where we are building soil health, where we're improving um, pollinator habitat, we're sequestering carbon, and our vision will be that we'll, we'll be producing produce, we'll have grass-fed cattle, um, free-range chickens, fruit orchards, um, being able to really do a, a permaculture model where we're not tilling the soil every year. And this year will be a big year for us because we're in a couple months we'll be putting up our hoop house, which will be the first spot that we'll be growing produce, putting in a well, seeding in what had been row crops with uh, native tall grass, prairie grasses, and pasture grasses, um, letting those get established, putting in fencing, and starting to build from there. We're contracting with a local organic farmer that has the skills and the know-how to help us get where we want to go. So it's very exciting for us. It uh, sounds awesome. Now, people, this is not a private place. This is a public place. So uh, you want to connect with our listeners and with the general community. So how do we how do we connect with you? How do we experience? You can connect with us a lot of different ways. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Osprey Wilds. You can go on there. We, we keep updated what events are going on. Our website, ospreywilds.org, lists all of our programs coming up. And the best way to engage with us is to come visit us. We are open to the public. You do not need to register for a program. We welcome walk-in guests. You can drop by, walk the trails. We also, at this time of year, groom our ski trails. We don't charge anything for that. So mm. if you want to get out and ski on nine miles of groomed ski trails, come on up. We'd love to have you there, and you can see our property and stop in and see what else is going on there. So people are welcome. I want folks to know that. Wow, people are welcomed. All people are welcomed. <sighs> Wonderful. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Better Futures Minnesota is a social enterprise which helps men achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. We need your help. By donating time or funds to our cause, you can support us and promote a healthier environment. By hiring our deconstruction crews for your next residential or commercial project and shopping or donating building materials or appliances to our reuse retail warehouse, you are supporting Better Futures Minnesota and your community. Please visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn more. 
Come experience Nightingale at 26th and Lindale in Minneapolis for mulled wine and delicious signature dishes from Chef Carrie and her team. Nightingale is perfect for special occasions with extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selections, along with their dedication to great service. Open every day till 2 a.m. with a full menu served until 1 a.m. and two award-winning happy hours daily. Plus, there's a weekend brunch at 10 a.m. Find more at NightingaleMPLS.com. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. In the Army National Guard, family means everything. They really appreciate what she's done as a sister as well as a soldier and, you know, supporting their country. Our parents, they were really supportive that all five of us would join. Family members that are soldiers in the Army National Guard inspire and influence, setting a path for others. It's validating knowing that, you know, I kind of did my part to make sure this is what they actually wanted and that they feel the same way I do. I'm really proud that we get to help shape the future. And I know that my sisters are going to be amazing soldiers. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard instills pride that you and your family will share in. A lot of pride, and they're just out there doing something every day and then serving their country as well. I got my education because of the Guard. I got to travel a little bit and experience a whole different culture. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today, a 40% chance of snow with a high of 27. Tonight, cloudy skies with a low around 12. Saturday will be sunny with a high of 22 and a low of 17. While Sunday will be snowy with a high of 28 and a low of 7 with up to 4 inches of snow possible. Don't miss the Healthy Life Expo this Saturday and Sunday at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Up to 200 vendors, four speaker stages, giveaways, and more. The Healthy Life Expo this Saturday and Sunday at the Minneapolis Convention Center. See it all at ExpoGuys.com. That's ExpoGuys.com. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way. Run a risk of knowing Welcome that back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Um, we're, we can work it out, right? We can. We can. Our lives not going to go away. We're going to work it out. The planet's going to be safe. But we have to go into relationship with it. We have to experience life. And so we're talking today with uh, Brian um, Wood, and he's with um, what was called the Audubon and the Northwoods. Now has a new name, Osprey Wilds Environmental Learning Center. And before we went to break, you said you welcome anyone to just show up. They don't need RSVPs. It's free. It's open. you got groom ski trails. How do you get to this place? We're really easy to get to. So if you head up I-35, uh, you take exit 191. That is the exit just north of Hinkley. A lot of people know Hinkley from Toby's Caramel Rolls, stopping okay. on your way to Duluth or the <laughs> Grand Casino. But we're the exit north of that, and then you turn left off there, and you'll see signs leading you, you out the next five miles, um, taking you right through our, our stone pillars and, and down our driveway to our 700. 80-acre property. So we're about an hour and a half away from the Twin Cities. Uh, you can make a day out of it, or uh, you know, if you if you're coming for a program, we also provide lodging as well. So let's talk about the programs because you have um, a wonderful thing coming up on President's Day weekend. So let's make sure we talk about that. So that is our Winter Family Weekend. That's a chance for parents and kids, or grandparents and grandkids, to spend time together, make memories, do things outside. So we provide lodging, meals, all instruction from next Friday, which is Valentine's Day, the 14th, through Monday uh, at lunch. So the 14th through the 17th, three nights lodging, four days of winter activities that folks can pick from. Some of those include 
ice climbing at the local rock quarry in Sandstone, which is a really cool experience. We do um, ice fishing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, uh, kick sleds, which are a pretty fun way to get around in the winter. We have lots of crafts as well. We, uh, high ropes course, archery range. So we have a mix of outdoor and indoor stuff, whether there's lots of snow or little snow or it's super cold or very comfortable. Um, we'll have a lot of options for people to pick from. So that's our winter family weekend next so, weekend. Next weekend. Um, and so obviously this is something people need to pre-register for. It is. Yep. You can do that online at ospreywilds.org. We do have availability still. So we'll be taking registrations up until next Wednesday, a couple days before it starts. Um, and we've got rates just based on how many people are, are you coming with. And then what are some of those rates? And or, I mean, you can just in, in general. Yeah. So because uh, this is an opportunity for grandparents or for parents uh, to be together in in wilderness, but also in comfort, too. It's not this is not rugged winter camping. There's also heat. Right. And maybe indoor toilets. Oh, yeah. We will keep people comfortable. We are 21st century. We've got uh, geothermal heating and cooling. We have broadband Internet. We have fabulous food service. So you will stay warm you will stay comfortable you'll stay well fed um, and uh, if needed you can be connected when we're, when you're not out in nature so we have rates from two all the way up to eight people um, two people is 650 and, and then for three days and that includes all your food and everything yep three nights four days uh, nine meals all programming and then it goes up by about 250 per person after that um, so all the way up to family of eight so those are some all-inclusive rates, um, but we also do commuter rates. If, if people listening live close by or have have relatives that have a cabin, you could do just coming for the days, heading back after dinner, and skipping out on the lodging. That's a little uh, lower in cost. Right. Um, and then uh, you also have a dinner at the lake. Dinners at the lake. Those are a series we hold throughout the year. We have, uh, like I said, a really great dining staff that that provide um, scratch-made meals for us. We utilize a lot of local and organic ingredients. So those are Saturdays. We do them every couple months, and folks coming from the cities can get a room and stay overnight and get out and explore on our trails and our property the next day if they wish. But our next dinner at the lake is February 29th, and that's going to be around Lake Superior's fisheries with um, the DNR's Corey Goldsworthy, and he is the Lake Superior area area fisheries supervisor. Um, we uh, have the largest lake on the planet here in, in Minnesota in terms of surface area with Lake Superior. It holds one out of every 10 drops of surface freshwater, which is just mind-boggling. Wow, one out of every to, 10 drops of freshwater in the world is, is in, in the Lake great, Superior. Is in Lake Superior or the Great Lakes. The just great. Lake Superior. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, you could take all of the water from Huron, Michigan, Erie, and Ontario, and that would not be as much water as in Lake Superior. So there's a, it's a fascinating lake, and Corey's going to be talking about what's going on with fish populations there. Um, one of the things that I'm, I've read about recently is how, how well lake trout populations have improved in the lake, um, and they're not even stocking lake trout anymore, which is a great success as those populations have bounced back from sea lampreys and overfishing. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about this because uh, the somehow we're just so much inundated with so much tragedy. It's so nice to hear stuff like, really? Lake trout are okay? I mean, uh, they're, they're doing better? They're doing better in Lake Superior. Yeah, the overall picture with, with climate change uh, dampens that a little as, as um, lake trout lakes that need to be cold and high oxygen levels, you know, the southern limits of those are probably going to go away this century. Lake Superior is so cold and so big that they're going to be lake trout for a long time in that lake. And um, because we've been able to address sea lampreys, which were a, a big problem with them, they're, they're able to bounce back and um, fishing regulations that have allowed them to do so. So they're doing much better, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see. So. It is exciting. Like, every time I see a bald eagle, I'm really excited um, because, you know, we almost lost them, but somehow we did rally, and, um, and you know, just the joy of seeing a bald eagle. Um, yeah, they are a terrific success story from from the 20th century, you know, when uh, 
when Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring and people are aware of the effects of DDT, we actually made choices to change that. And that's the great thing we can do is we can take control of things that can make positive positive outcomes. And once those were outlawed, those chemicals that were weakening eggshells, um, you know, eagles were able to sit on their nests and not crack their own eggs. And those eagles could then reproduce. And now eagles are commonplace. You see them all over in, in right. the Twin Cities. So it's a terrific success story. And I like that you mentioned Rachel Carson. Um, so this going in love with the natural world um, provides the fuel to, um, to make these effective changes. Yes, it's it's been shown repeatedly that just telling people why they should be doing something or what's happening is not the impetus for change. People need to have a real connection and a positive experience, positive feelings about why is the environment important? What's special about it? Does it make me feel good? If we can create those initially, people are a lot more receptive to wanting to take ownership and, and try to preserve and, and conserve our resources we have. And every year you're connecting uh, 10,000 uh, people uh, to the wilderness and another 9,000 in the charter schools. Right. Pretty cool. That is super cool. Okay, so let's talk about how our listeners, uh, we started talking about dinner on the lake. Um, that's uh, that's $35 on uh, Saturday, February 29th. Um, and you can learn about Lake Superior and have a wonderful local meal and tour the land. That's that's right. And one of the special things we've done is partnered with a local brewery, and we have oh. a, a maple ale with our own maple syrup. That's really tasty. <laughs> so if you come for the dinner... That's one of the things you Maple get Maple beer? Oh, that's a sweet incentive, huh? It, it is. Right. And then on uh, March 28th, you have Maple Syrup Days. We have Maple Syrup Day. Yeah, one of the really fun things to do with um, the springtime season as, as things are starting to warm up, but the snow's still around and it's kind of slushy, is tapping maple trees. Uh, Minnesota is the westernmost state that uh, produces maple syrup. We've got a lot of sugar maples on our property, and we tap about 800 a year. And we get to boil it down and make our own syrup. So we do a day where the public can come out and learn all about it, learn how to identify maple trees, how to tap them, how to cook it down. And we do a, a pancake brunch with, of course, our maple syrup. But it's a chance to get out and see that, do something as a family in it, and then get the skills and ideas if you want to just tap a couple trees in your yard. It's a really fun experience to do. We also have our high ropes and zip line uh, open that day, we'll do animal programs with our raptors and porcupine. Mm. So there's a little bit of everything for people there that day. That's right. So that's uh, Saturday, March 28th, Maple Syrup Day. And then you have like a Women's Wellness and Adventure Weekends. We do. That's coming up in May. So we do two of those every year, Women's Wellness and Adventure Weekends. Um, and those have a whole host of courses that um, women can pick from on nature courses, wellness, um, getting outside, and those are always popular. Um, so if people are interested in that, it's a terrific way to spend some time with a friend, daughter, a mom, um, create some memories outside together. Terrific food, comfortable accommodations, uh, reasonably priced. And again, President's Day um, is coming up uh, just next weekend. So um, that event, um, which you need to register, if you're interested in President's Day event, you need to register by uh, Wednesday of this coming week. Correct. Yep. If you can get your registration in by February 12th, we'll we'll have a spot for you. Great. And it's be with the kids and um, it includes lodging and all the food. So you get there and you don't have to worry about anything. If you want to shut off your phone, you could. If you <laughs> If you need broadband, it's there, too, and, and indoor toilets and warmth. <laughs> and this year we have snow, so that makes Good. it even more fun. And uh, winter is a season that not as many people get outside or they think, ah, this, they're just waiting to get through it and survive. We want to get people to enjoy it and thrive in winter and uh, keep people comfortable, get them trying out something maybe they haven't done, like skiing or snowshoeing or ice climbing. Winter's got a lot of benefits to it. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about mosquitoes. You don't have to worry about getting too hot and humid. Um, you can explore anywhere in the woods because the leaves are down. So um, there's just a, a lot of cool things about about winter. 
That ice climbing, what, what is that? So ice climbing uh, is essentially rock climbing on ice. And the city of Sandstone has some water lines that they run on the old 100-foot-high quarry in Sandstone. And it floods this area and creates these awesome frozen waterfalls. And you use crampons and pickaxes. You're connected in with a rope and a belayer, but you're a lot, you use those ice picks and crampons to move your way vertically up these ice formations. And it's really become a pretty hot spot in the Midwest for ice climbing because um, the runs are long. The city creates these ice runs with the water, and uh, it's easy to get to. So we just hop in the vans, take people over there, and... Uh, work with the local uh, company that does that. Okay, and is that really open to all ages and abilities, or is it sounds like something more for a high adventure? Yeah, two-year-olds aren't going to be doing that. I think there is an age uh, requirement, but it's something, I think, like six years or older. So they can, uh, you don't have to be, you know, in high school, you know, with your kids to do it. We, we have middle school and elementary kids trying it out, too. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're again going to take a little bit of a break, but we're um, in studio with Brian Wood. He's um, with he's the executive director of Osprey Wilds Environmental Learning Center, and uh, 780 acres um, on a lake. Um, lots and lots of events to find out. You can go online. Um, the website is to find out about these events. Ospreywilds.org. Great. We're going to take one break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk more about youth and nature. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Our station has worked with Barbara from WYSIWYG Web Design for years on everything from logo to print design and especially for developing our website. She does great work and is great to work with listening to what our goals and design ideas were while offering new, innovative ideas to create the website we are proud of today. Barbara made sure she understood our station, our goals, and our mission before she started working on our site and made suggestions to help control the cost. Plus, she's friendly, which set us at ease. I recommend Barbara at WYSIWYG Web Design because I know she will deliver an attractive, professional website within the budget you have. She is a local independent business that specializes in helping other local businesses achieve their website and design goals. She can work with nearly any budget and create anything from simple sites to robust custom functionality. To find out more about the company AM950 Trust, go to WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Spelled out just like it sounds, WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stellion? Check online to learn that Warner Stellion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stellion sells more brands than anyone else, and our passionate specialists are committed to impressing you so much that you'll refer us to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stellion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy appliances, join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners and choose the specialists, Warner Stellion. If you or someone you know needs dental care but can't afford it, go to Shamblot Family Dentistry's 14th Annual Dentistry from the Heart event on Wednesday, February 12th, beginning at 7 a.m. It's a day of free dentistry for those in need. All patients will be seen on a first-come, first-served basis. No appointment required. Dentistry from the Heart provides free, limited dental care to those in need. This event is for new patients. Since 20% of adults know they have cavities but haven't had them filled, and over 100 million Americans lack dental insurance, this event meets a huge need in our community. Shamblot Family Dentistry has given away almost $400,000 in free dentistry through Dentistry from the Heart. Again, Dentistry from the Heart is Wednesday, February 12th, beginning at 7 a.m. at Shamblot Family Dentistry in Hopkins at 33 10th Avenue South and at their new St. Paul location, 400 Selby Avenue in the Blair Arcade Building. It's first come, first served, So arrive early. This President's Day weekend, bring your family to the Osprey Wilds Environmental Learning Center, formerly known as the Audubon Center of the Northwoods, on Grindstone Lake in Sandstone. The all-inclusive family weekend has locally sourced meals and winter activities like ice climbing, wildlife programming, skiing and much more. Reserve your spot at ospreywilds.org or call 320-245-2648. Osprey Wilds. Experience your environment. Welcome back to 
Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline, and we've been having a conversation with Brian Woods. He's the executive director of what's now called Osprey Wilds, ospreywilds.org, formerly known as Audubon of the Northwoods. And we were talking about these wonderful events, um, and also uh, people can rent, if they have an event that they want to put on for themselves, there's a conference center that you, you can rent the whole conference center. Tell us about how that works. Yeah, that's right. So when we're not hosting schools or or leading college courses or, or other events on the weekends. We rent out our facilities for groups and uh, conferences. So we have a range of different uh, sized amenities, some smaller lodges for groups of 20 or less that are really cozy and have their own kitchens and um, living rooms, dining rooms, fireplaces, screen porch on the lake. We also have larger dormitories for larger conferences that can hold up to 100 people. Um, lots of meeting spaces. So groups that are just looking for the day and we have meal service that we provide so family reunions church groups boy scouts um, friends that get together and you know just want to hang out uh, as well as larger organizations that are doing corporate retreats we host weddings as well we're a really nice destination wedding where you can partner with us to do canoeing or uh, climbing wall or high ropes course with the kids um, and uh, our dining service provides the meals, and it's a really beautiful setting for, for folks that are interested in that. So we do a lot of conferences and retreats throughout the year, and all of our facilities and prices are listed on our website as well. Yeah, everything's listed on the website, and you're green. I mean, you have, you've you actually made a real deep commitment. Um, so tell, tell us about some of that um, commitment. We feel it's really important for us to model sustainability and model what we hope our participants will do going back to their schools, their businesses, their homes. And so anywhere we can, we have tried to reduce our energy usage through conservation or more efficient um, uh, equipment and machinery and controls. Um, and then we've also addressed the energy source, so trying to move to clean energy sources as opposed to dirty fossil fuels. So to date, um, our main campus buildings are heated and cooled with geothermal ground source heat pumps. Most of our hot water needs are produced with solar hot water panels. Uh, we have wind turbine. We have about 40 kilowatts of solar photovoltaics that provide a large portion of our electricity for our campus. And we're also in the midst now of looking at putting in a quite massive solar system, hopefully this year, that would uh, cover 100% of our electricity needs and really demonstrate our commitment to uh, a clean, green future. So you're a 50-year nonprofit, and um, you're also going to be expanding more and creating an organic farm. And uh, one thing uh, we were talking about a little bit is a book you read once called Bee Time, Lessons from the Hive. Mm -hmm. um, you want to talk a little bit more about your farm and the lessons from the hive? And um, uh, Absolutely. Uh, the way that we are growing and raising food today is is anything but conventional, even though that's the word that's thrown around, conventional agriculture. It's such a paradigm shift in how food has been grown. Um, when 1900 rolled around, 50% of Americans were farmers. Today, it's less than 1%. And a lot of that is due to efficiencies made with machinery, but a lot of it also has to do with the way that we are growing food and the choices we make where we make these monocultures of thousands of acres of one species uh, of of crop which nature does not like nature, nature does not like it's like when we cut down the pine forest and then we got the hinkley fire nature does not like that monoculture approach <clears throat> nature likes diversity and the you've probably heard the um, quote by john muir as you tug on one strand of the universe you find it's it's infinitely connected to everything else and diversity is really the the hallmark of a healthy environment and our agricultural systems are really geared towards monocultures and towards annual crops where we're planting and harvesting them every year every time you till the soil you are releasing carbon you're killing that soil as it's exposed to the air um, with all of the microorganisms, uh, orga the nematodes, the earthworms, the ants, the microrhizomes, the fungi that are in there. And we have got to shift to an agricultural system that builds soil instead of destroys it. FDR, back when he was creating all of these um, programs in the 30s to help um, 
help our environment, help our natural resources, said, a nation that destroys its soil destroys itself. If we don't have soil that's healthy, that can grow food, we can't do anything. We can't <laughs> continue on. So the way that we are growing food today, by and large, is destroying soil and eroding soil. And that's because we're growing annual crops as opposed to permanently um, rooted vegetation. So think about trees, think about shrubs. Those things are holding the soil in place. They're holding moisture in the soil. They're shading the ground because of their leaves, so they're cooling the soil. And they're sequestering carbon. As carbon dioxide is pulled in through their leaves, not all of that goes back out their leaves. It goes down into their roots and into the soil. That's why planting trees is one of the best things you can do for climate change, because that CO2 goes into the soil. And when we till that soil, that sequestered carbon dioxide gets released. So we can't see that, but every time you're tilling a field in the spring, you are releasing massive amounts of carbon dioxide, just like burning a coal plant. So with our farm, what we want to show is that it is possible to produce food in a healthy, sustainable way that coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, is also healthy for people. The kinds of foods that um, are grown without chemicals that are building soil instead of depleting it are much more nutrient-dense. They're going to keep people fuller longer. They're going to have more vitamins and minerals that we, we all need. And so a big model for us is trying to do as little tilling of the soil as possible. So we're going to be um, planting pasture grasses for our cattle where there won't, they're not going to be eating corn. They're not going to be eating soybeans. Um, and we're going to be planting trees with fruits and nuts so that they're sequestering soil and we're getting fruit from there and then growing vegetables in a manner where we're really not overwatering them or not um, breaking up the soil more than is needed. So that it's, is it's what so we're trying exciting. to do. And, 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 and you've had a, a great uh, track record, 50 years, um, of, and, and, and now every year about 10,000 um, adults and children experience your program, experience life, um, experience. Um, tell us about your tagline. It's experience. Experience not, your environment. Experience your environment. Um, and also you work with uh, 9,000 other students in, uh, in charter schools. Um, and so it's a wonderful light you're lighting. Um, and again, how would people learn more about you? Go to our website, ospreywilds.org. That's the best spot to check us out. We also are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, our handle is Osprey Wilds. You can find us there, and we'll, we keep you up to date on what's going on. And why Osprey? So our logo from the very beginning was an osprey. The first uh, founders coming up to the lake saw an osprey flying over the property. And so we wanted some continuity with our name. And that is the impetus behind that. We also have nesting ospreys on our campus, and we're putting up a webcam this spring so Ooh. people can actually watch the ospreys well, Thank there. you so much, Brian Woods, um, with the Osprey Wilds Environmental Learning Center, and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.